Bradshaw tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our guest segment. We're super excited to have him back with us. And I'm just... uh uh, alerting my producer who is in the other room. We still don't have Tony Ortega yet showing up here on the screen, uh, but I want to tell people a little bit about him while my producer is working on uh, establishing contact with Tony. Uh, Tony Ortega has a blog. It's called The Underground Bunker, and you can get there by going to Tony Ortega dot org uh, to get to his blog. And uh, it's really interesting because every day he writes a new article about Scientology and uh, a lot of things are happening with Scientology. Of course, there's the Danny Masterson uh, legal case, which he's been following very closely. Danny Masterson, of course, a Scientologist, but he also gets into some of the more well-known Scientologists, um, for example, Tom Cruise. Uh, John Travolta and others. And I don't know, I, maybe like you, if you're somebody that has uh, been really captivated by the Leia Remini uh, show, which, by the way, is now on Netflix. I saw that today. Uh, I believe it was just today that uh, the Leia Remini show, uh, Scientology, the aftermath was added to Netflix. Now, there were other ways you could watch it, of course. Um, you know, of course, back in the day when it was being produced and new episodes were coming out. Uh, but now you can watch the whole series. There were three seasons of of that show. And I don't believe Leia Remini is going to be producing any more series. But if you have Netflix, you're now going to be able to go on Netflix and watch uh, Leia Remini's show all three years. Uh, all the episodes of Leia Remini's show has now moved uh, on to Netflix. So that's exciting. And I'm told Tony Ortega is here. Good to have you with us, sir. Jim, sorry I'm late. No worries. Uh, I was I was talking a little bit there about Leia Remini's uh, show now coming on to Netflix. I know there are no new episodes being created, but it looks like all three years is now on Netflix for for streaming replay, which I think is exciting. Did you know about this? Yes, and, and it's a, you know another another audience. I mean, she reached a huge audience on A and E, but not everybody has A and E, and so now there's a whole new set of people. They can call up each episode on on Netflix, and I just I was checking it today to make sure it's all there. So very exciting. Yeah, and so what I like about that show, as far as like it it being rebroadcast, is it's what we call in broadcasting evergreen content. That is, I don't think I don't think any of that would be considered dated to where someone wouldn't want to watch that now, even though it's not brand new, freshly produced content. Is that your memory of those three years that that is, is good information today, just as good as it was when it first came out? Well, especially the way they did it. I mean, they made it so that 
Um, it, it, there's a lot of new information in those episodes, but it's just as fresh if you watch it today. I mean, there, the things that, that she's talking about even four years ago are exactly the same things that are happening now. And the people she um, portrayed who had been harmed and who were suffering, they're still suffering today. Yeah. So they're really timeless. And, and I, I think people will, will get, you know, wrapped up in them. They're emotional. They're, they have a lot of impact. So I'm looking forward to a whole new audience of people discovering them. And if you're just tuning in, we've got a lot of people watching us tonight on our live video feed, uh, thousands watching uh, on the on the live video feed. But then we've got also thousands on the audio feed. So our guest tonight is Tony Ortega, and uh, he writes a blog every day about Scientology every single day. And uh, you would think maybe you'd run out of topics, but not 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 the case. If you go to his his blog is in my feed reader and I, I see every day there's new content. You can get to his blog by going to TonyOrtega.org, uh, and there's new content every single day. So I wanted to start by asking you about the election. I know, you know, we're a couple of days for, away from the election. Do Scientologists get involved with politics? Uh, and I'm, I'll use the example of Kirstie Alley to kind of maybe answer my own question. Yeah, I mean, Scientologists vote, and they talk about it a lot. See, the, one of the big misconceptions uh, people have about Scientology is they tend to have heard something about Scientologists not being online. Now, it's true that the Sea Org members who work all day and night don't have time to be online, but that's a minority. Most Scientologists are just like the rest of us. They're online all day. They're on Facebook. They're just very good at policing themselves and not looking at material they're not supposed to be looking at. But they are taught chattering with each other. And I know, you know, people think, well, it's an organization, you know, in California and Los and uh, and Florida, it's probably a bunch of hippies. That most Scientologists lean right. Most Scientologists that I see talking online are Trump supporters, and they're they're voting for his reelection. Now, keep in mind, Scientology is a tiny organization. There's probably only twenty thousand active members around the world today. Wow. So their vote really doesn't have much impact. Wow. I, I never realized it was that small of, of, of a group. I mean, especially when you consider how much money they have. I mean, I wonder if they ever did a, a math calculation, like what the net worth is of the organization divided by the number of members. That, that would be a pretty incredible. I actually, did, I actually did that one time, Jim. I wish I had those numbers right at my fingertips, but I did that and it was incredible. And the reason I did it was, remember that news came out, I think it was earlier this year, maybe it was last year about how the Mormon church had this secret uh, uh, slush fund of yeah. just huge billions of dollars. Right, right. And uh, But, you know, they actually have uh, 20 to 30 million people around the world. So I divided that, and it turns <laughs> out that, that the Scientology is still far richer per capita than the Mormons are. Yeah, like they could close the whole thing down and just divide all the money up equally and then everybody goes off into the sunset. I mean, that sounds crazy, but uh, it, it sounds like the, like the, if you own stock as a member and you had a pro rata share for your, you know, one, you know, uh, 20,000th uh, of the net worth of the organization, it might be a, a pretty significant amount of money. So let's talk about Danny Masterson. We talked about that the last time you were here, and that podcast episode exploded. I mean, people are still downloading that like crazy. Uh, of course, uh, 
an actor that a lot of people know from that 70s show. Um, these rape allegations are from years ago, but I think a lot of people were surprised when the criminal charges came. And uh, can you kind of unwind for us where everything is on that now, the criminal and also the civil case? Yeah, I mean, he's facing some serious charges and serious time. He's being arraigned tomorrow in criminal court. He won't actually be there. His attorneys are going to enter his not guilty plea for him uh, unless they come up with another. They already delayed it more than a month. Uh, maybe they'll find another, but it cost him a lot of money. Um, he is he was charged for uh, violently raping three different women over a period between 2001 and 2003. I know that at least seven women came forward to the LAPD in their investigation. It took three years. Wow. Um, and he is being charged under California's strict one-strike law uh, because there are multiple victims of forcible rape. He is looking at sentence of 45 to life. Um, and uh, it's very serious. And, and I know that he and his attorneys have tried to portray this as some bitter ex-girlfriends which is completely untrue. One of the three women he did date for a number of years, but the other two that he's charged with raping, they weren't his girlfriends. One of them went to his house for the first time, and he allegedly raped her. The other one, she was at a party at his house. These were not girlfriends. These were. And, and, Do you have any sense of what uh, the evidence of how strong? Of course, we want to say he's innocent until proven guilty. But right. but do you have any sense right. of how strong the evidence is? In other words, here's a famous guy. He he has money. Um, if it's just three women that said, "Hey, he did this to us," you know, seventeen, eighteen years ago, and it's just that is is that all the evidence, or is there something more significant than sort of his word against theirs? Well, in particular, the woman I've been calling victim B, and she's known as Jane Doe number one in the civil lawsuit. Um, she was at a party at his house. There are, there are witnesses. There's a witness who I have interviewed who saw her trying to get out of his room and being dragged back into it. Oh, wow. By Danny and a friend. Um, there are there. And then what was, I think, probably the thing that is going to be most trouble for him is that in the months and years after that incident occurred, um, victim B's mother was writing David Miscavige letters about how unhappy she was about how the church was handling the rape of her daughter. Those documents are in the hands of the LAPD and the and prosecutor. Hmm. So it's there, you know, when you have documentation and yeah. then, um, and then the, and then, well, people, I don't think people, most people know this. Um, Danny Pater, uh, under under threat, the church was threatening to um, uh, kick her out. It's called declared suppressive. If she didn't sign this document with him and accept payment from him to shut her up. So there's a lot. There's a lot. Of, it sounds like there's a lot of contemporaneous um, evidence to yes, support yes. this. And that's the kind of evidence yeah. that a jury looks at, like if someone told someone what happened to them at or around the time, if there were witnesses that can place them together. I've, I've and, interviewed. Yeah, yeah, it sounds it sounds I've interviewed a witness who talked to victim C at the time of her rape that, that says she told her at the time. So there's 
there's definitely evidence from that period that you're talking about. Now, are these uh, will will these criminal charges be all bundled together in one trial where all three of these victims are able to uh, be represented by the state of California in one trial? Or are these all three separate cases that will not be um, bundled together? Well, at this point, um, it is one trial because they are going for that law that will put him in prison for life because it's multiple victims. Mm. So um, it is complex because there's the criminal case going on, but then there's also a civil lawsuit. These women are suing him and the Church of Scientology for harassing them for coming forward. And um, and then if he's convicted in criminal court, then they can add rape as a count in their civil lawsuit. But that's a couple of years down the road. Uh, so it gets complicated. I'm trying to, one of the things I do at the website is I keep people up to date on which hearings happening on which day. Yeah. Because we have a couple of different cases going on in different courtrooms. Yeah. So if you're just tuning in, our guest is Tony Ortega. We're talking about, uh, Scientology. And then in particular, right now, we're talking about the Danny Masterson case. And, uh, in, in a lot of, t- uh, scenarios, Tony, if you've got a, a criminal case that's going, what they'll do is, sort of freeze the civil case because they want the criminal case to to have precedence and then they'll let that case continue later um is is that what's happening or are both cases having activity right now well there's a there's a funny wrinkle to that because danny has already asked for that danny's already asked for discovery to to be stayed in the civil lawsuit because he can't you know, he can't give a deposition in the civil laws that right. would be used against him in criminal court, yeah. right? However, the church doesn't want a stay because the church really wants to the, the civil case to get to the they, – they filed these motions to force these women into arbitration. They want those motions heard. They want the judge mm. to decide on that because they have won that in the last two lawsuits filed against them. They're on a winning streak, and they feel confident about it. So they'd rather the, the lawsuit keep going. So things are going to get kind of interesting in the next. Yeah, that's, so they've got different. They've got different interests. They've got different interests because I would imagine if I'm a lawyer for right. Scientology, and in the meantime, Danny Masterson gets convicted of these criminal charges. Now I've got a really hard argument I'm going to make to a judge that. We need to dismiss this civil case or move it to the church's arbitration or whatever alternative scenario they're hoping for when you've got a criminal conviction uh, of the person accused of these things. So a lot of interesting uh, things still developing. And as you said, tomorrow is the arraignment. So uh, with everything happening in the news, it might not get a lot of coverage, but I'm sure people will be able to um, you know, get an update uh, on your website uh, as things progress. Tell me about this article on your site. You have top 25 people enabling Scientology. Uh, of course, we might not have time to get to all top 20 but uh, I see one face on there that I uh, recognize, Charlie Rangel. <laughs> so uh, who are some of the other uh, bigger names that we might recognize? Well, so, yeah, I've done countdowns in the past. Uh, things like um, uh, the people that are you know fighting against Scientology and various things. And this year I thought what I would do for a countdown is the people who are, who are not in Scientology but they're enabling it. They're, they're, they're doing things that help the Church of Scientology. And so I've, I've sort of, you know, named some attorneys that help them out all the time and, and, and various, there's, there's a whole list. You can go through them. And then this most recent one number, we're up to top, we're up to 10 in the countdown. 
And number 10, I call them political shills. And these are politicians who um, show up and give speeches for Scientology. And of course, the most, the most, the woman who nobody's paid a price like Karen Bass did this summer. And that's the point I was making is, you know, Karen Bass was supposedly uh, a, a top Joe Biden pick for vice president until somebody made, uh, I think it was Breitbart that, that uh, publicized <laughs> that she had once given a speech. Yeah, she was done after, uh, after that, after she, after that came out, that was the end of that. And so I, I just, you know, believe me, that both Republicans and Democrats get sucked into this thing and they, they give these speeches and it's infuriating because, you know, what are they doing? Why are they standing up and helping out an organization like this? It's forcing young women to have abortions. It's splitting up families. It's extorting older people. Why in the heck would a politician do that? So I just thought it was, you know, it was important to name them and shame them a little bit. Yeah, very good. Now tell us about, uh, you've got an article here about Keith Rainier. Um, and and this guy I find fascinating. I, I, I always find these gurus fascinating we we did a, a big show about uh the sedona sweat lodge deaths and james arthur ray and how people would actually right. like follow him into these sweat lodges and then he'd go sit outside and cool off and they were literally dying inside of these but but these gurus that have such power over people tell us about this article about uh, keith rainier and and how you see that as as possibly maybe a parallel uh to the leaders of scientology they all all these groups use the same technique you know i mean you, you saw it with, with the sweat box guy and 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 all these groups in high control uh, uh harmful groups Use the same technique. It's always funny to me. We're losing your audio just a little bit, Tony. If you could talk more directly into your phone. Um, there you go. We saw, you know, this, these, these new Nexium, uh, these new documentaries about Nexium have come out. And I see all these Scientologists commenting about it online saying, Oh, I can't believe this is just like Scientology. I said, Well, you know, they, they think that Scientology is so unique, but actually all these groups use the same exact techniques. Yeah, and in fact, Rainieri, Rainieri even even cribbed from Hubbard. Rainieri, no question, lifted quite a few Scientology concepts uh, while he was developing Nexium. But the thing he didn't do, Jim, he didn't get tax status. He didn't get church status for Nexium, and that's why he's going to be going to prison. Whereas, because they just, you know, it was just a lot easier for the federal government to bring that group down because they don't have that church protection that Scientology enjoys. Yeah, but but still, we're looking at sort of this uh, narcissistic uh, personality and uh, very much even just looking at this still picture you have of this guy. I can almost see, you know, David Miscavige that just kind of look like I I am all powerful. (laughs) All these guys have that sort of presence around them. And a great article. I read that earlier this afternoon. I thought, what a great parallel. And then this one I thought was fascinating. Uh, The Scientology chiropractor that uh, he pled guilty to fraud. um, And I guess there's going to be a trial. Um, He was he gave a lot of money to Scientology, but the money turns out that it might have come from from Medicare fraud. Uh, Will that maybe mean that some of that money has to be um, clawed back uh, from Scientology? Well, that's what they're fighting over. That's what they're fighting over right now is uh, when they when they announced his arrest. And and I've been covering that recently 
you know, Scientology itself hasn't been getting investigated or prosecuted, but individual Scientologists keep running afoul of the law, including the yeah. chiropractor and his brother in upstate New York that were big Scientology donors. And when they were first arrested, it was announced that it was an $80 million Medicare scam. But um, when they when when he pled guilty, they worked out a deal with prosecutors where he would only admit to nine million dollars in fraud. And so so the prosecutors say that because of that, he deserves 10 years in prison and his attorneys are arguing for a year and a half. So they're they're, they're, he's pled guilty, but they're far apart on the sentence and they're starting to trade some accusations about facts with each other. So um, he was supposed to be sentenced this week, but they both sides have asked for a hearing to, you know, go over some of these facts. And for me, that's great. It's like, hey, it's like a mini trial. Even though he's pled guilty, they're going to present facts because they. I tell you what, the prosecutors came out with a sentencing memo this summer, and they they made this guy look really bad. I mean, this guy was a master fraudster, and he he was hurting people at his clinic. So I think it'll be interesting if all that comes out in a mini trial. And I know David Miscavige is, is a is a short man. He's like five foot one, but this guy looks like a giant. Yeah. This guy looks like a giant standing next to him in this picture. <laughs> yeah. Like he's like six foot five. Like talk about like the bone crusher. I mean, I'd I'd be afraid to have this guy working on me. I'd be afraid I I they'd have to get a wheelchair to get me out to my car. This guy. Right, he looks right, like he's as right. tall as uh, Tony Robbins. And then I, I, I thought this was fascinating because you had started earlier by talking about the idea that a lot of people don't think that Scientology is really, uh, you know, doing much online and they're not really, you know, uh, all that into social media and so forth. But then you have this article uh, about uh, Scientology's sort of somewhat uh, obscure social media presence where they actually this is used more to to talk to each other uh, within Scientology. So these are more like chat rooms just for those in the group, as opposed to like a Reddit forum where it's open for everyone to read and participate. Yeah. So Scientologists are online. Scientologists are participating on Facebook, but they're very careful about uh, avoiding negative information. They're not supposed to watch Leo Remedy shows. They're not supposed to read my website. They're not even supposed to talk about that kind of stuff. And so, they have these private social media feeds where they're talking to each other, and I happen to have a source that gets me that stuff. So we get a chance to see what Scientologists are telling each other online if they don't tell the rest of the world. It gives us a nice glimpse into what's going on in, in the world of Scientologists. Yeah, one other option is, like I've done before, is I go to that Starbucks across the street from their place and i listen to what they're talking about in line you know nothing like a latte that will uh, soften you up a little bit uh and and we we move on to this article here about uh the 1983 uh revolt against david miscavige now we've heard a lot about this the idea that you know he sort of appointed himself as the successor to L. Ron Hubbard, and that not everybody went along with that. There were other people that thought they should be uh, the, the the successor, but he sort of just took on that role, claimed that L. Ron Hubbard had appointed him to be the successor, but there was never any uh, documentation or proof of that. Is that right? He just sort of just assumed power um, and there, it, it wasn't clear that everyone was going to go along with that. And that's what this article is about, that there was somewhat of a revolt against him in 1983. 
Well, that's interesting. It is interesting because this document just uh, showed up. My friend, uh, Mark Ebner, who's a journalist, also writes about Scientology. He found that and gave that to me. It's an interesting document because this is, this is three years before Hubbard died. So what we're seeing is that there were people who really didn't like Miscavige and didn't like the power he was taking over even before he became the supreme leader of Scientology. So I thought that was particularly interesting, that he was you know, developing some new ways in Scientology that, that not everybody was down with. But yeah, there's a, a lot of people have left Scientology in the last 20 years, and it's primarily because of him and his style. He's just a real martinet, really ruthless. Uh, and, and believe me, there was no picnic under Hubbard either. He, he developed all these policies about control, about snitching. But Miscavige is just really a hardcore guy and, 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 and drives a lot of people away. So the people that are left are pretty hardcore. How did he actually gain control? So explain this to me in just layman's terms. Like, So one day you have L. Ron Hubbard dies, and then... I'm sure there would be somewhat of a power vacuum, but how does he step up and then he's in control? Um, you know, he was clearly in the inner circle, but there were other people in the inner circle. Was he officially assigned before the death of L. Ron Hubbard by Hubbard to be his successor? Um, and, and if not, um, how did L. Ron Hubbard expect the organization to continue on? He had, Miscavige had been positioning himself for a long time, and he and Pat Broker had developed this bottleneck. Hubbard, Hubbard had just decided to, he was, after his wife, you know, fell on her sword and went to prison, and he kind of escaped all that, he went off and hid. He was in hiding the last several years of his life on a ranch in California. And so, um, uh, to get, but he still wanted to be in control. So the information that was going back and forth between Hubbard and Scientology was still going on, but David Miscavige and Pat Broker created this bottleneck where any information to get to Hubbard had to go through them. And so that's how they started to carve out uh, a, a real sort of power for each of themselves. And then when it came to it, at the very end, Hubbard supposedly named Pat Broker and his wife, Annie, as his successors, I, I seriously doubt that. If you look at the document, it, it doesn't really, it's not very convincing. But basically then it just came, it just came down to a power struggle between Miscavige and Broker. And if you watch video of Broker, you can just see he's just, he doesn't have that ruthlessness that Miscavige did. So I think he just positioned himself in a place where he, he had lever, he leveraged his power. He was in charge of information, which is everything in Scientology. And when it came to it and Hubbard died in 86, he was there to just push Pat Broker aside and assume control. And I know there are, Scientolog there are Scientologists to this day who are angry that it happened that way and that it wasn't democratic and there wasn't a vote. But then I think, you know, hey, look, look what, what, it was Hubbard. I mean, Hubbard never developed a successor because he was a megalomaniac and a, and a you know, ruthless um, leader. So, I mean, that's how these organizations go. It's not like this happy democratic transfer of power. Someone is just has to be more ruthless than the others and takes over. And that's what Miscavige did. It almost seems like, you know, when I was a financial planner in practice, we would run up against these scenarios where like one of the adult children would sort of move in with mom and dad as they were elderly. 
and they would do a nice thing to try to help them and take care of them. But then all of a sudden their name was on the deed, their name was on the checkbook. And even without a will or any estate plan, they, by just, you know, having possession of those assets, they got everything. And they basically, the other uh, kids could pound sand because uh, they basically were in a position to sell the house, to liquidate the bank accounts. They had all of that access that they gained by really being the caretaker. It almost sounds like something kind of along those lines that, uh, you know, Miscavige kind of uh, filled that role and then was in that position uh, constructively, even without like any official uh, succession plan uh, to be able to have control of the money, probably control of the communication channels and uh, almost like a soft coup uh, would just take place. And, and Hubbard had spent years reorganizing and creating an organization where he could have this kind of shadow control of this massive organization, one man in control, so that ultimately when he died, it just took one other man to take that over, right? Mm -hmm. You see, because it was just that one set of reins that had Hubbard had carefully crafted. So it's not that hard to understand that, you know, once Hubbard died, then one other very ruthless person took over. <laughs> and, you know, I, I understand why some Scientologists are disappointed about that, but I don't, you know, what can you do about it? Yeah, absolutely. Now, Scientology is also a thing in Australia. It's it's pretty popular in Australia. And I was reading an article that you have here today uh, about uh, a series by uh, Seven News, which is a news organization down under. They've got a, a series called Scientology Black Ops, uh, a series. And tell us what's going on with that. And, and apparently they're trying to get this this uh, series taken off off the air do they have as much freedom of the press as we do here they don't they they have um laws that are not as good as ours about freedom of the press and what happened was that brian seymour a journalist over there a friend of mine uh spent months putting together an excellent series he had found some new dirty tricks uh, that the church was up to, and it specifically involving Tom Cruise and benefiting Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, wow. Um, yeah, amazing new information. Uh, he, I was one of the people that were interviewed for the show back in December. Uh, I interviewed Mike Rinder and Leo Remini, Paul Haggis, and uh, the next time I heard from him, he said there was going to be a 10-part series. I didn't know it was going to be a 10-part series. I was shocked, but it, it was for the nightly news. So, you know, when the, when they say 10-part series, like a, like a eight or nine or 10-minute piece yeah. in a nightly news show. So it wasn't like full-blown half-hour episodes or anything. Anyway, so um, they were supposed to reveal it all, like, to stream it all on July 14th at, at 7 News in Australia. So which is kind of like, sort of like CBS or NBC here in, in the United States, whatever. Yeah. And um, the day before... They, they, they had even put out a trailer, which I thought was kind of unusual, but they had put out a trailer, and then uh, the day of, uh, I was checking my computer to see if they had put those online, and they hadn't. And I started calling around and found out that they'd killed it. And which is, you know, this is this would be like CNN announcing they were going to do a big series <laughs> and then killing it the, the, the last second. I mean, it's a big deal. Why? Why did so it, I report why, that? Did, was then, it was it like a threat well, of a lawsuit or did the does their Lee, legal Lee system? Leah Remini and Mike Rinder were, were in it a lot and they were interviewed and they, they they were very familiar with the show. They told me 
that they knew the series was going to be really hard on Tom Cruise and Tommy Davis. And they believed that that they had gone to their friend James Packer, who's this Australian billionaire who was in Scientology for several years. He's no longer in Scientology, but he's still their friend. And their theory was that Packer had then gone to Kerry Stokes, who's the chairman of Channel 7. They're very close. And it convinced him to kill the series. I report, I wrote that, that they, that was their theory. I think it's a pretty good theory because we had heard that the lawyers at the network had all signed off on it. So that was killed in July. Then, uh, and I didn't think anyone was ever going to see it. I was convinced because, you know, uh, people were asking me, couldn't an American network show them? But no, it's, it was Channel 7. They own it. They killed it. They're not going to give it to somebody else. I was convinced no one would ever see it. And then in August, all of a sudden, the episode started getting leaked to the Internet. Ah. I was sent embed codes. I was sent embed codes by the leaker. And um, the Underground Bunker, my website, featured all, eventually, they came out every five or six days. Eventually, we featured all ten episodes. And the, uh, what I did was I wasn't sure if they were going to stay free or not. So I went ahead and went to the trouble of, and, and made transcripts of all ten. And then eventually, after all ten were out, and all of my readers had watched them and thought they were fantastic, then I got a letter from an attorney in Australia representing Tommy Davis. Um, now, he couldn't really threaten to sue me in America from Australia. And so he was just asking me for information in a letter that he that this attorney said was not for publication. So the next day I published it and uh, basically just told him to go fish. <laughs> and then a few days later, you might be getting a free a trip to later, Australia for a lot. They might have to fly well, you there, right? For a deposition. You know, <laughs> Tommy Davis. No, I'm not going to help out Tommy Davis. Now, a few days later, Channel 7 itself, their attorneys emailed me and said that they were being threatened. You know, Tommy was threatening to sue them. And so this and this was the first takedown request I got from them. I had not even heard from the network. Even though all 10 episodes were up, this was the first time I heard from this network, and they asked me to take down the episodes, and so I did. I took down the embed. Again, I didn't leak this into the Internet. The leaker gave me the embed codes, and I just put them on my website. Once Channel 7 asked me to take them down, I took them down. However, those transcripts are still there. Wow. Now, what would, if you, I mean, with our remaining time, which is limited, what was like the major bombshell that came out of that, the allegation against Tom Cruise? The major bombshell, and it's a huge one, is that if you remember back when Tom Cruise, uh, I think I told you the story how he kind of went away from Scientology for several years, and then they got him back in, and he was super gung-ho, and then uh, Dave gave him that medal, that special medal, uh, Freedom Medal of Honor, and uh, and then he kind of went nuts, and he went became the ambassador for Scientology there in 2005, and, went and argued with Matt Lauer and went on over. <laughs> so, yeah. so one of the consequences of that was his he had a legendary publicist at the time named Pat Kingsley, and she did not want him talking about Scientology when he was promoting movies. So they needed to fire her, and they wanted to make sure she would keep her mouth shut. And so for the first time, this series revealed that they basically blackmailed her, that Tommy Davis put together a what he called a dirt file on her. We had an excellent witness to this who was sworn to court testimony on this, that Tommy Davis had assembled a dirt file on Pat Kingsley so Tom Cruise could fire her and they wouldn't have to worry about her opening her mouth about it. So the most, so Scientology, here's Scientology 
digging up dirt on one of the most legendary people in Hollywood, showing that they they will go after anybody, even the most famous publicist in Hollywood. So it's a major story. Now, now tell us for those people that don't know who Tommy Davis is, uh, tell us who he is. Tommy Davis is the son of uh, actress Ann Archer, and he grew up in Scientology. He um, was kind of a gopher for Tom Cruise for a while, and then around the year 2005 or six, they made him the sort of face of Scientology. And for about 2006 to 2011, he was uh, the, the major uh, television spokesman for Scientology. He fought with Martin Bashir, and he fought with John Sweeney, and he uh, went on CNN and said some silly things. But he was he became very well known pretty quickly by people that were interested in Scientology. And then he lost his job, and he left sci- he left that job. He's still in Scientology, still a Scientologist. Um, and he finds it, he, he's a really fascinating guy. I have to keep doing updates on him every few months because my readers always want to know what the latest is. Uh, but he, he's, he recently got married. He showed up in the book Melania and Me. Uh, fascinating fellow, but he was not happy about this Australian series that, um, revealed that he had assembled a blackmail file on Pat Kingsley. And so basically they told Pat Kingsley, okay, we're going to show you now all the ways we can burn you if you don't do what we say. That, that Tom was going Tom with Tom fired her, and she they wanted her to keep her mouth shut after that after she was fired and and here are the reasons why and they had this a dirt file on her <laughs> and uh, yeah it, yeah I mean, that that's just like something out of a mobster movie but uh, you know wow wow I mean it, it's it's amazing though because the more you hear about this is why people have this insatiable appetite because this is like. I don't know. I mean, everything from like uh, you've got, uh, you know, uh, Jamestown, uh, Guyana to the Sopranos. I mean, you got like everything uh, in Scientology. I mean, every storyline you can imagine uh, is in here. So I'm sure you don't run short of materials to produce a blog a day. Well, there's all there's always something going on, man. Just yeah. come down to TonyOrtega.org and check it out every morning at 7 a.m. We got a new story. and We have a wonderful commenting community. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's so much happening right now. I can barely keep up with it before we let you go. Um, okay. So we're in November, uh, anything happening with the organization? Are they still going to have these big gatherings coming up? I know there's a big gathering, isn't it for, for, for new years or for, for Christmas or around the end of the year, they, they get together is, are all those being canceled because of COVID? They have been since March, yes, and um, they have not. They've been doing everything virtual since then. Um, it's been tough on them because they, you know, they rely on at for the very first when it, you know in March they still wanted people to come down to the orgs and they realized they couldn't do that, and so no, they're holding off on the events for now and they're trying to do a lot of stuff virtually and and uh, um, they they've actually tried to use the pandemic as a public relations uh, stunt for themselves. They've handed out masks and stuff and then they claim they're part of the solution and it's just they're you know it's just it's just they're just desperate to get something right but uh um no they're still not holding big events and i i don't know when they're going to start 
Well, a lot of things happening, and I think this uh, Netflix carrying the Leia Remini show is is a big win on a lot of levels. A lot more people are going to see that, and I was glad to see that uh, the Netflix decided to to carry that. I could see them saying, "Oh, we don't want to get in trouble or offend anybody," because that's a you know controversial show in 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 some areas. You know, obviously Scientologists don't want it to run, uh, but a lot more people are going to get to see the truth about Scientology and how bizarre it is. And if you want to get even more information, check out the blog, The Underground Bunker, TonyOrtega.org, TonyOrtega.org. And Tony, we hope you come back again soon and keep us up to date on what's happening with Danny Masterson and the latest, uh, which is always, it's always the world as it turns, right, with Scientology. Hey, I enjoyed being on the show. Always, it's fun. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. Good to have you with us. All right, there we go. Tony Ortega. Uh, we always love having that guy on. I mean, man, oh man. I mean, just the 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 crazy, crazy stuff going on in Scientology. And uh, hey, Scientology people, if you're watching, uh, if you want to have one of your top people come on, I'll give you the half hour to ask you all of my questions as well. And I did go over there myself in person uh, about, what was it, three years ago and uh, kicked the tires. I went through a, a seminar and all that to try to, like, see from the inside, you know, what all of this was about. And uh, it's it's unreal how much money they have, the big campuses they have, in particular over in Clearwater, Florida. Uh, but uh, people can't get enough of it. Whenever we do a show like this on Scientology, it becomes one of our biggest downloaded programs thank you so much for watching uh big week ahead uh we'll be probably breaking in with a lot of uh live updates throughout the week over at our social media stay in touch over at christianmoney.com and jimparisradio.com this is jim paris and remember if it's sunday night it's jim paris live so long we'll talk to you next time goodbye everybody